Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 223 of the ETPHD team podcast with myself and Anna. Hi Anna, how are you? Hello, I am so good. So I've just handed in my last piece of coursework for counselling for this year and part of me is so excited and the other part just wants to slump and like not move oh. for a while. <laughs> Amazing, congratulations. Thanks. I say, I say slump and then celebrate. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's my plan. That's my plan. But how are you? I am... Good, great, thank you. I'm perplexed by the weather because everyone's walking around and every call I've had today, everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's like summer, I'm working in the garden, it's so beautiful. Every time, so I've got like a lot of calls today, so I, every time I have like a 15 minute break, I'll just walk up and down the street. And um, not every time, I'm not doing it like every hour. I don't know, <laughs> like a couple of those two in the morning. And um, I'm in my hoodie, my jacket, my leggings, and I'm like, okay, I'm warm enough. And everyone else is like, oh, yeah, it's toasty here. It's wild here. I'm like, what am I missing? No, I've not got it here yet. Like, it's, I was nice in a jumper earlier. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, that makes me feel... But then I, I don't know whether my, like, internal thermometer thing is just a bit off anyway. So I'm like, hmm, who knows? Yeah. And maybe mine's off from being away. And actually, comparatively, it's not as warm as it was in cost. Maybe that's what it is let's go with that um okay I say we just get cracking on the questions do you want to go first yes um what do you do when the funk hits and you start to question everything I'm not sure whether this is just in life in general or (laughs) or the or a bit of the process because this client's just come back from holiday and then illness and just feeling a bit blur for want of a better term. The fact that we don't know if this is to do with the process or life is almost the entire answer that you need. As in, this is going to happen for your life, for the rest of your life, you're going to get into a funk. I think two things, I think, for me anyway, I think allowing the funk sometimes is helpful. And I don't mean sitting in it and wallowing in it. I mean, recognising like, okay, objectively, maybe I feel this way because of X and Y, maybe like, because I've been on holiday and I'm injured or whatever it was like I think recognizing that it's okay to sometimes feel a bit in a funk and it's you're not always going to feel super motivated and super excited and super consistent all the time that's just not life um is the first thing and then I think having just tools that help you navigate that funk and also holding yourself accountable to doing things that help to bring you out of it so like I say like when I'm not saying wallowing, I'm saying acknowledge and then say, okay, well, what brings me out of it? And that might be being really active. And I don't mean physically active, but I mean doing things like meditation and yoga and seeing friends and I don't know, calling your family and get outside. It might be those things, but it might also be turning your phone off, watching your favorite series, i.e. selling sunsets and or sunset and like not speaking to someone for a day and then like the next day then doing other things that soothe you so I think 
just accepting that that it's normal yeah pretty much there's that expectation that you're meant to be happy all the time and I'm just saying that happiness is sitting with the downs just as much as the ups so Mm. like you said allowing it knowing that transient and it will pass absolutely I think there is something to be said of like the wallowing thing is is one that you like it's hard I think sometimes to navigate what's wallowing and what's feeling the feelings and I think making space but not letting those feelings negatively impact the rest of your life is like the difference really and if you're in a funk especially with like the process of like working on your relationship with food recognizing that again you're not always going to want to eat regularly you are going to sometimes want to overeat you are like you you might miss your um coping mechanisms that you have before all that's normal but what's what is the way to parent yourself here what is the way to like hold yourself accountable to the things that are going to make you feel better? And one night having your pizza and your ice cream might make you feel better, but doing that every day is not. So being quite accountable to yourself and to, with you've got Anna to be accountable to in that sense of um, knowing like what the right action is for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've noticed I'm much less triggered by comments about my body these days, but these week two people in particular commented, oh, you've lost weight, you look great. Where in actual fact, I haven't been well the last few months. While yes, I may have lost weight, it annoys me that it's the go-to comment. I noticed this annoyance, but let it pass without saying, without saying, and there's still a part of me familiar with being validated with such comments. So it feels strange to not get that validation now. It's like I expect it, but there's nothing but slight annoyance. Not really a question, but have to move forward with future, how to move forward to with future situations. I mean, there was a fantastic post that I saw yesterday about not complimenting weight loss. <laughs> I was being sarcastic and I don't know how many people, like obviously not about that, but some people didn't get that I was being sarcastic. And I was like, like the non, yeah, what was that? Non-weight, non-appearance focused compliment. Mm. And I was being sarcastic. And then some, then I don't think some people got it. <laughs> Damn it. I do find sometimes, I think this is a good lesson because we've had this conversation before where I feel like sometimes people think, well, you put out a lot of like deep, meaningful content and you talk about deep issues and hard issues. So then when I talk about, like when I make jokes and when I'm sarcastic um, and surprisingly witty, sometimes people, because they don't necessarily expect it, they're like, oh, I don't, I don't really get it. And it's like, you can hold space for like the deep, meaningful stuff and laughing at yourself and having joy and humour as well. Like you can do both of those things or all it's of those things. It's a PhD things. in your name. It just is too much. <laughs> Take it yeah, out. No, that's the final straw. And they're like, no, definitely not. Um, but yes. I think, what were you going to say? I was going to say, I think the the further along you get in this sort of work and the more comfortable you are in your body and its fluctuations and not kind of being as appearance focused, I think the annoyance or like in my own experience, the annoyance settles and it's just like, you can have that comeback in, oh, it's interesting you think it's okay to comment on weight. I think you get a bit more confident in kind of 
speaking up a little bit because it's it it is shifting and and obviously we are becoming more open to different bodies but diet culture is so deep-rooted that there is that thin ideal that everyone thinks that weight loss is something that we are all going to be striving for to be the smallest possible um and like I said I think the more comfortable and confident you get the more you can begin to challenge it um and just not necessarily to make that person feel bad but just to have that open conversation and be like do you know what weight's the least interesting thing about me yeah I'm actually hilarious and deep <laughs> pretty much and have a PhD um but <laughs> you are right like you are right I think I think it's useful to think about like what what is this annoyance feeling what often when we feel annoyed it's because we're kind of triggered in some way like what what is it that is annoying you about that do you have expectations of other people that they should be on the same wavelength as you are uh, like is it that you're still just still working on this stuff and you're annoyed actually at yourself because deep down you still kind of liked it and you know that you shouldn't like it therefore you're annoyed at yourself for liking it and you feel guilt and shame about that and it comes out as annoyance at someone else and it's kind of that misplaced annoyance and um, I think getting curious about why you feel triggered or annoyed at certain things is really helpful and um, because again you know we can't change other people's opinions or the actions we can only change how we respond to them right um and I think showing compassion for yourself and others here showing compassion for them that they don't know differently and their their intent here is trying to be nice although it's misplaced and although you know it's not helpful to comment on people's bodies they are their intention is good and on the flip side showing compassion for yourself that you've been indoctrinated into this diet culture for 30 years so of course when you feel pleased that someone comments on your body even a little bit it's quite expected and quite quote, quote, normal um and so not getting annoyed at yourself for feeling that and just being like oh that's interesting and that I, that I still have that narrative in my head around diet culture but and be curious about it more so than frustrated by it I think um so for some background this client we've only just started working together um and she's recently found out she's got a histamine intolerance so it's going through a process like they've completely removed them and now they're beginning to reintroduce different foods um and she asks how do you recommend that i get my head around the fact that i can't carry on eating the way i've been eating for years i choose healthy foods that i loved and felt and that felt routine safe and happy but unfortunately unconditional permission to eat anything no longer applies as I'm newly diagnosed as histamine intolerant so my whole way of eating has to change I'm finding new nice things to eat but they're not my food and I feel sad about missing my old food I can deal with it on a daily basis but thinking about forever seems overwhelming one thing is try it like you don't have to think about forever think about the present moment rather than worrying about the future or ruminating on the past and what you used to be able to eat in the past and what you won't be able to eat in the future thinking about okay well what what's important right now and navigating this right now because it might not feel like it but in a year in two years in five years eventually this will feel normal and you won't you will unlikely you'll be unlikely to feel that sadness that like that loss that you feel right now um it, it will probably change over time it's the nature of loss of any form right so 
thinking about long term and thinking oh well I can't imagine doing this long term you're not going to be in the same headspace in six months in a year so it's going to feel completely different and so focusing on the present is really important I think remembering that although the choice has it feels like the choice has been taken away from you in terms of your food choices so you don't have unconditional permission to eat you are to some degree right and by definition you are probably right but I wonder if and this may not be possible but I think I definitely have had clients with um, IBS and, and other kind of tr- situations where they can't eat um, the, all of the food that they want to eat. They still give themselves unconditional permission to eat, but they choose to honour their body. And by choosing to honour their body, they're choosing not to eat these foods that make them feel unwell um, or don't treat their bodies well. So rather than saying, you know, all of this stuff has been taken away from me, can you think, okay, like, like, it's it sucks like cold space for the fact yeah of course it sucks and I'm sorry that that you're going through this and, and it is a loss and making space for that um but also thinking about okay well how can I empower myself then to make choices that are going to support my health and my body now as opposed to this is really unfair which of course it's unfair but 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 that like sitting in that is not going to help your mindset or your mental health at all um and it's not about the toxic positivity spin either but it is about like recognizing it and then saying okay well what's really helpful going to be helpful for me here and it is going to be that shift in mindset of okay well I'm going to choose to get creative and try new foods and um honor my body and honor my health in the way that is like respectful to to my body Mm. yeah I think like you were saying it's not forcing the toxic positivity like we were saying in our update this week obviously as there's uncertainty as she begins to reintroduce certain foods but equally like some level of excitement because your body might respond really well to it and that might be a whole new food and loads more recipes as a result mm-hmm. yeah okay how to help, so this is from one of my clients who I'm mentoring and coaching, how to help logical thinkers become more mindful and really embrace getting in tune with their internal cues. Mm. Hmm. I think how I <laughs> like how I started, because I was definitely like, mm, no, this is... I think we were all like that, right? Like, a lot of us at ETHBHD were or are logical thinkers. And I, I know that when I started talking about mindfulness and research and mindfulness, I'd just finished my PhD in physiology and I was teaching in a physiology department, hardcore science. And I was like, oh, I'm going to try mindful eating. And what does this mean? And I think I think it can be helpful to remind people like they're not dichotomous, like you can hold space for multiple things and um, you can be logical, but also be spiritual and have beliefs and you can be scientific but you can also be philosophical and I think a lot of it is to do with the way that you show up as a coach and how you portray yourself authentically and how you share your knowledge and how you practice what you preach um I think that can be quite helpful because I think for me I think it is helpful for people to know like yeah you know you do have a science brain but you also like meditate and and do these things and I think 
maybe initial transition from that logical quantifiable type of work and process to um the more kind of internal intrinsically driven stuff having a bit of a process that is still quite quantifiable can be helpful so you know we'll still have people quantify like they'll tick off that they've done meditation or they'll tick off and um, maybe it might be even as quantifiable as you know doing 10 minutes of meditation every day or something like that I think that can be that can be helpful and then looking at the way that you communicate that with people so I it's our job to celebrate the wins that people don't understand our wins or don't recognize that our wins that's our job as coaches right so so often we'll work with clients and they'll not recognize that being able to respond rather than react is a huge win like that's really tough or being able to cry and not overeat is a huge win. And it's not as quantifiable as, you know, hitting a macronutrient target or seeing a scale weight change or something specific like that. And so that's really our job. And that's why coaching in this process to become more healthful and intuitive, why having a coach is so important and so helpful because we can see all of these wins. We know what to look out for, right? And that comes with experience too of, recognize what to look out for when often people who are going through the process initially at least are maybe not quite so sure about what to look out for mm. and I think obviously with with our clients on their updates they can go back through the weeks and see like progress on habits and progress on I, I was thinking feelings because um one particular client there was that initial resistance and shock horror to meditation it was too airy fairy wasn't going to make the time for it and then going back through the weeks and as she's begun to get really consistent with her practice like she noticed the the five word feelings were there was whilst we don't have good or bad feelings there was a lot more kind of positive comfortable feelings showing up and so whether that's like a bit of like an experiment but for you to begin to write okay again like quantifiable in right I'm noticing as I do this it's having an effect on this um or even just in your journal like going through over the weeks and and seeing how feelings thoughts are, are beginning to change as well mm. um so I'm slowly making my Instagram less fitness and post more of me but I haven't got to the point where I'm comfortable posting photos that really show my body change so for reference this is someone that used to compete how do you deal with potentially people talking about how your body has changed and how do you even get comfortable with photos of you in a different body one thing is you don't have to show photos of yourself in a different body. Of course, you don't want to be in the place of body avoidance of like n deliberately never sharing photos of yourself because you don't feel comfortable. You obviously don't want to be in that position. Um, but there's no need for you to show pictures of your body. Of course, when you're training and things like that, if you're taking videos for real and stuff like that, you are you're you are going to show up in your body and hopefully at some point unapologetically show up in your body. Um, realistically. 90% of people, if they are thinking about your body change or do have comments about your body changing, they're not going to say it to you. They're going to say it in their head or they're going to think it in their head. And 
the problem is not their thinking. The problem is you thinking that they're thinking. The problem here is the stories that you're telling yourself around people's perceptions of you. And you're creating this narrative that people are going to think X or Y or people are going to say X or Y. Realistically, probably 95% of people, like they're not, realistically, they're not going to say anything. Um, the I suppose the kind of caveat to that is if you're someone who does talk about your body and show your body a lot, then people will say stuff. Like people have said stuff to me because I'll show, show my body um, and I, by putting my body out there, I'm inviting people to comment and to say stuff and I don't think it's right but I but I can't be annoyed about it when I'm putting my body out there and talking about my own body but if someone does that to you and you're not talking about these things there's nothing to stop you just deleting the comment and moving on and the more you post on social media the more prevalent you are on social media the more you're opening yourself up to comments and it's like, okay, well, am I going to let this story that I'm telling myself stop me from growing my business and having more impact on more people? Or am I going to kind of continue on and choose my thought process and choose to reframe that, you know, what other people think of me is none of my business and I'm posting this to help one person. And sometimes often the thought is worse than the reality. And once you start showing up in your body not bringing attention to it but just showing up then you'll realize that people don't have it like people don't have anything to say they might be like oh my god you're glowing or you're so happy or I love this content but they're not commenting on your body mm. yeah I don't have anything to add I'm afraid of <laughs> <laughs> um, okay George's question I'm turning 29 this week, which is making me reflect a lot on my 20s, which have been beautifully messy. I'd love to know what some of your biggest life lessons have been so far, even if they're not particularly profound. I feel like the not particularly profound part was probably directed at both of us. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, dear. Um... Hmm. I think I think my biggest one probably was like have trust in that everything will just work out stop trying to fight it stop trying to fit into like I am laughing at the fact that when I was 18 I thought I'd have my own house by 21 obviously I had no idea about money at the time <laughs> no no that's not <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I I think that that for me is that nothing ever works out quite as you imagined. And sometimes, well, no, I was going to say sometimes it, it it's for the best, I think. Mm. It's hard, right? Because I think I do like a weekly life lesson in my emails. And then when I come to, on the spot to think about it, I'm like, oh, I don't actually know. Um, There's so many kind of, I guess, so many roads you could go down with this. I think for me, one of them is, that you'll keep giving, you'll be keep, you'll keep getting, geez, you will keep getting the same lesson over over again until you change the outcome. That's a huge one for me. Um, and whether you call it universe, whether you call it like, I like to say, the universe keeps giving you the same lesson until you change your behaviors. Um, 
or learn your lesson. But realistically, the reason that it's happening, obviously, is because you keep making those same decisions and are not changing the decisions. And of course, the outcome is going to be the same. Um, That's a big one for me, because whenever I find myself like thinking, oh, what decision should I make here? I'll look at the options that I've got in that situation. And I think, what have I done in the past? What's similar to what I've done in the past? And how has that worked out for me in the past? And not assuming that this outcome is going to be any different because by God, how many times, and I did this in my twenties for me was this, doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting something different to happen. Choosing the same man over and over again and thinking some a different outcome was going to happen. Doing the same, like over being overly anxious and overthinking and stressing myself out over and over again thinking that that wouldn't lead to me having some sort of emotional breakdown every single time that I required my brain again. Of course, that kept happening. And and only in my 30s did I start to go, oh, okay, well, I actually have to, like, that's just going to keep happening until I change the way that I do something. Um, I think that was probably one of the, my biggest life lessons, I think. Um, anymore? I did have another one that just came into my head, but I've completely forgotten it. Um... be in next week's email then <laughs> when yeah. it pops back in <laughs> yeah well that's very annoying um yeah I'm sure the other ones have probably been in podcasts at various different times <laughs> um okay go for it tips for trying to work out what your core beliefs are other than the obvious being journaling Is it for working out your core beliefs mm. I think I mean, journaling is obviously number one, right? Um, and journaling in different ways, like asking yourself what stories you're telling yourself and then saying like, okay, this is the story I'm telling myself. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Eventually, when you keep doing that over and over again, you'll figure out like what you're telling yourself it means and that's your core belief. I think another way of doing it is looking at your behaviours and looking at your actions. So for example, let's take like a personal trainer who's trying to grow their business and their actions are not showing up on social media, um not starting a podcast or an email list because they don't they don't not quite sure what to say um and maybe in their personal life they have been in a relationship for a really long time but they're not particularly happy in that relationship um they go on holiday they'd love to travel but they haven't ever found the right time to travel yet and they've always got a reason for that and if you look at those behaviors and those stories to me, that would potentially suggest that you have this belief that either you're undeserving of these things or you don't feel like you're good enough to help other people or you don't feel like you're worthy of a more fulfilling life. These types of beliefs potentially might be some, like not necessarily, but these might be things that you would think, okay, well, if I look at all of my actions in all different areas of my life that I say are important to me, what are my actions saying about what I truly believe in myself or about myself? So I think potentially that's another way to to do it. Mm. You know, like obviously my, my tutor doesn't listen to this, but we actually did something really good yesterday that that I thought you could begin to apply, like because maybe looking inwards feels a bit too much at the moment but what we were doing yesterday was like um disney of course <laughs> but like identifying what beliefs disney characters might hold 
and then you could like go okay well, usually like best with villains right because <laughs> they're acting that way for a reason um but then being like okay well um maybe who do I think yes Scar the Lion King has the belief that he's not good enough so that's why he's always striving to be the best the most powerful <laughs> toxic masculinity perhaps but okay well does that how does that sit with me is that something that I also struggle with um and maybe linking it like that oh know. nice Little Mermaid believes that men are worthier than women she's got a lot of internalized misogyny which is why she would give up her actual voice for a man because mm. men's mm. voices are more important than women's oh do we believe that no <laughs> See, how deep you can go i was like oh, this sounds a piece of meat and then i was like oh okay wow <laughs> <laughs> i like that um you could probably do it for anything like even your favorite programs mm. um okay Ross's question Guilts and treats. No, wait. Guilt and treats. How to reframe? A, a guilt around treats. I guess so, yeah. Hmm. I mean, it depends. I'm, I'm assuming it's like around what you'd call treat foods. But, if, I mean, also linking perhaps to the core beliefs if it's just treats in general. Um, but I think just being really mindful of the language that you're using around food um if it is the food situation and just allowing yourself more of them more frequently so that they begin to lose that that novelty and that there's something that you should only have at certain times or only a certain amount as well yeah agreed i think um like getting to a place of food neutrality takes a very long time it's not something that you can kind of just say, oh, well, I know there's no good food and bad foods. Okay, that's it. Especially in our society where we're constantly bombarded with foods that you should or shouldn't eat and everything else on these awful podcasts, etc. So um, giving yourself the grace to say like, this is going to take some time. And then I think maybe having a couple of affirmations that feel comfortable and safe for you. So when you do eat, let's say you think of, Oh, I had a salted caramel whisper yesterday. It was so good. So let's go with, you think a salted caramel whisper is, is like a treat food and you feel guilty around it. When you have the solid caramel whisper, can you say, like, can you have that affirmation in your head planned of like, I'm learning to nourish my body. No food is good or bad. Um, This, like, I, that I find this, like, this chocolate is delicious and deserving of this food or anything that you feel like relates to you. And maybe you can do it putting a hand on your heart Maybe you can do it with taking some deep breaths, being really mindful with it and enjoying it. So often when we have food guilt, we don't even enjoy the food because at the time we were eating it, we're thinking about how bad we feel about eating it. And it's like, what a waste. Like you spent the whole time being feeling guilty about the food and then you didn't even get to enjoy it in the first place. So we're noticing that when your brain is going off and actually sitting down and being really mindful and focusing on the taste, the textures, the salted caramel, whatever it is, and really thinking this is, delicious I deserve to enjoy this as opposed to like I shouldn't be eating this um so we've made this into a question the client wanted <laughs> wanted to ask it she was like brain's ticking over so went on a third date with the same guy and I don't know if I felt something I don't know if it was my gut feeling but decided to give 
him a second chance and ask myself, what if I'm wrong? He treats me well and seems to be investing time in choosing restaurants to go where I have food options with no dairy issues and tolerant. And he's making an effort, so I decided to give it a go. And it was really nice. His honesty makes me a bit afraid. Like, this is our th third date, and he's already saying that we won't see each other for a couple of weeks, and he thinks he'll miss me. I don't know if this is a red flag, or I'm not used to people being honest, because most of the time, I'm not honest with myself. I'm being more honest at the moment, but it was never like that before. And to be fair, I wish I could see him before, as the time I spent with him was really nice and joyful, and I felt connected. So not really a question but do we think it's a red flag or is it <laughs> because it's something new feeling wise um... uh, it's so hard and I'm kind of smiling along because I can I understand 100% like I completely understand there's no real way of knowing right I think there's a couple of things here I think one gut instinct is important and we don't give our bodies enough credit when we feel a gut instinct. Um, that being said, sometimes the gut instinct can be like a feeling of like fear. So sometimes, and this can kind of come across as chemistry too. And you see this with people who start dating someone and they think it's just this giant spark and this is this amazing thing. And often it's actually a fearful response of your body knowing that this is a dangerous situation I don't mean physically dangerous per se I mean unsafe in some way um because maybe that person has behaviors and patterns and an energy that is similar to people in the past that have maybe not treated you as well or things have not entered so well and sometimes we and so I think sometimes gut feeling is that and sometimes chemistry is that um but on the flip side I also think if we're used to a certain behavior in people and then someone shows us something different, then that can also feel, we can feel unsure about that and uncertain about that. And that can feel unsafe, even though it's a healthier way of being. Like what feels familiar to us often feels safe and that's not necessarily the case. And if it feels unfamiliar to you, maybe in the past you've, you haven't had these types of relationships and sometimes that can feel unsafe, even though, it's kind of a, a healthy way of being. So in a nutshell, I don't know that, I don't know. It could potentially, I don't, it's hard from what you said. I don't think that's really a red flag for someone to be like, oh, I miss you if you've hung out a few times and then you're going away for a while. I don't, I wouldn't necessarily think that's a red flag, but you have, you, like, just like food, you can't take food in isolation. You can't take these comments in isolation. It's like, what's the overall pattern of behavior here? And what's your history in dating situations? And how does this relate to, like, historically your dating patterns? And I think so much more to dating than attachment styles, for sure. But I do think that if you have certain like avoidant tendencies, for example, and someone who's maybe more secure and or anxious are more likely to say something like that. If you're slightly avoidant, it's more likely to kind of freak you out rather than bring you in closer. And um, no personal experience of that whatsoever. <laughs> um, so I think the self-awareness piece is really important, right? Of like, and taking it all in context rather than like this one little snippet out of context, I think. Mm. yeah I was I was thinking very much the along the lines of kind of your allowing yourself to be more vulnerable now um 
in life, not just with dating. And I, it was actually, what was I reading? Something about self-sabotage. And not that this is the case by any means, but I think it it uh, fits in nicely in that often we'll choose kind of, uh, or no, we'll opt out of kind of temporary discomfort in favour of long-term dysfunction. I thought, oh, oh, <laughs> slightly attacked. <laughs> that was a punch in the gut. My baby bell and apple was just starting to come back up. <laughs> <laughs> but... I mean that's that's the thing with some like you say when there's that those new feelings that we're not sure whether they're kind of they're they're unsafe they're unfamiliar not necessarily bad but our our instinct is to go no I don't like this I'll go back to what I know um and yeah getting curious as to well has how has that kind of served you in the past mm. I think to be honest like from personal experience it's it is like a constant work if you come from like um insecure attachment styles in some way like I really do think or or just like learned behaviors or patterns in your relationship history and then learning what those are and then trying to be more present more securely and seek out that same thing I do think it's a constant um learning curve and I do think it requires constant reaffirming to yourself of like your values and and your behaviors and your awareness and when like you have started to notice tendencies in yourself checking in with yourself and being like is this valid is this true or is this something that's like based on past behaviors and it's a really hard thing to unpack and but just like relationship with food stuff where you constantly have to think about like not constantly have to think about it but like you're still eating regularly way beyond you know kind of quote healed relationship with food just like that I think with relationships it can be you still do have to put that work in at least for a while I don't I don't know about forever I'm 36 I'm not 95 but I don't know okay Becca's question I was thinking about unconditional permission to eat anything and was wondering how do you navigate this when there are limitations on say cost of food for example, if I would like a cake from a bakery, but the cost of it means I can only afford to do this once a month, then there is a condition placed on that food. So having it infrequently, um, infrequently makes it feel limited and scarce. How do you overcome this? I, I mean, we've we've talked about this around kind of like Christmas and Easter foods, and it's almost going right. Okay, well. I know I can have it again next month and that's great and I can really look forward to having it so in the meantime I'm going to make sure that I have things that are similar perhaps that yeah they might not be kind of I was gonna say as good I mean cake's brilliant I've not found one I don't like I don't, <laughs> I don't think but I kind of going right look yeah that's that's my monthly trip to the bakery and that's going to be fantastic and in the meantime I'm going to have cake from Tesco or if I'm feeling fancy I'll go to M&S and I can still enjoy that and still get the same kind of satisfaction um whilst I wait another few weeks to go back mm. it's like crosstown donuts versus the Tesco custard donuts Tesco custard donuts are still fantastic and they're only 50p or they were the last time I bought them they might not be anymore um cost of donuts are not 50 feet um I agree I think practicing gratitude at the moment 
of of enjoying it and being super mindful and embracing that as the experience that it is um is important and I think there's a lot to be said when we're thinking about unconditional permission to eat it still requires delayed gratification sometimes it still doesn't mean eating everything and everything whenever you want it it means having the power to choose what in a, in alignment with your other health goals and your preferences and your situations etc that's what unconditional permission to eat means and so when you're spending your money on other things that are healthful and supportive of you then you're choosing not to have that cake regularly so that you can choose other things that support your health and your lifestyle then that's still an empowering decision and you still have unconditional permission to eat that but you're choosing to spend that money on other healthful things that lead to other healthful outcomes instead of just spending that money on food on that specific food Mm. shall we stick on the same sort of lines why if i'm not restricting my food choices do i always crave processed foods like cake ice cream etc because you do get a heightened reward response from these foods there's a physiological heightened reward response to foods high in sugar and fat and salt and etc so it's a physiological phenomenon that 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 can happen um and i think sometimes we pathologize these things it's like well i just love food or but i just crave these foods more than other people and realistically once you've kind of got into the place of not restriction and stuff it's probably just that physiological one on top of that maybe it's also because you are maybe not eating enough so you're hungry um on top of that it's maybe because actually you have maybe periods of low mood or boredom or stress and you want these foods that have a heightened reward response to bring you to give you that dopamine fix to give you that hit of reward when you're not finding that in other parts of your life I was thinking as well checking in are you labeling those sorts of foods are you putting conditions around those sorts of foods because it's something that we see often when you start practicing unconditional permission to eat that it's not kind of true unconditional in the sense that well I'll have chocolate but I'm only having a square or I'm only having cake at the weekends and what if you want cake on the Tuesday like that to me is and I'm not saying this is the case by any means but worth checking in have you got rules around these sorts of foods are you only allowing yourself certain amounts certain times I'm beginning to challenge that so you can get a bit more comfortable with it in general Mm. George's question, I think reminding others the power of journaling and gratitude could really help if not already covered. Oh, well, yes, journaling and gratitude is incredible. So for reference, this person has recently started the PhD method and she's found gratitude game changing. Um, It's funny because when I first started practicing gratitude, I think, I don't know if you remember this, but it was whenever it was years and years ago six years ago or something and for about a year every single day I put something on my story like today I'm grateful for x y or z every single day and I was really really intentional with it and and now like mindset people will talk about it and stuff but we don't often talk too much about it because it's such a daily practice for us of just like 
when I went for a run this morning, I took a video of the sun and the trees and I was like, I'm so grateful for how beautiful it is and having the ability to run before my busy day. And I don't say these things because that me showing that beautiful part of my run is in my head, me expressing my gratitude for these things. But you forget that actually, because we don't talk about these these much, like these things much, that message is not necessarily portrayed. Like I like to think that it is to some degree, but we don't often talk about these basic things of like gratitude. We obviously, obviously talk about journaling quite a lot, but um, you know, gratitude is. I mean, as the the science of gratitude in general can this is there is research there, but it's not always super robust. But you know, like improvements in body image, in relationships with food, in disordered eating, in overall well being, in mood, like there's so much like so much support for it but it is true like we probably don't talk about it as much mm. yeah I think I mean that's the thing with habits though isn't it <laughs> yeah they become habit for sure go for it um advice on how to feel comfortable in your body in the short term whilst working for longer term goals so working to improve relationship with food right now whilst aesthetic goals are on the back burner clothes choice body checking all the usual stuff around not putting so much emphasis on looking at and feeling your body when you wear comfortable clothes and you're not taking pictures of your body all the time you do start to think about it less and on top of that when you're focusing on nourishing your body gifting your body with food and and rest and and also focusing on other parts of life that bring you joy, that bring you purpose, that fill your time. All of these things reduce the, that preoccupation that you have with your body. Mm. Yeah, I was, I think when, like when I was a client with you, I don't think there was anything intentional I did to support my body image, but it improved as a result of me just looking after myself better. Like you said, the it just took up so much less space when I was like stop it stop training for aesthetics and allow myself to eat more freely and start filling my life up with more fun things as well mm. you're totally right like I think we don't we don't talk about enough just actually how for making your life more fulfilling can impact your relationship with food in your body like when these things are so much more fulfilling to you you, you have less time and energy to spend on those other things and it can come a in the other way it can become a bit of a vicious cycle of you spend more time thinking about food in your body so you spend less time socializing and when you spend less time socializing you've got more free time so then you spend more time on your food in your body and it becomes this vicious cycle and so what you want to do is try and do the opposite of that and actively spend more time thinking about other things so that you have less time thinking about your body mm, okay George's question I always exercise four times a week weights and or cardio but I don't seem to be able to embed and develop yoga practice any ideas of how to do this I often feel like yoga is a waste of time but weights and cardio are worthwhile mm. why 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 is yoga a waste of time I'd be journaling on that maybe <laughs> um I mean if I think connecting how if your training and your cardio is really important for you and and rightly so not saying otherwise but maybe it's going right okay well can yoga support that and 
I mean, it certainly can. It's going to help recovery and um, flexibility and and loosening any areas of tension. And I mean, the the other benefits are just an added bonus. Then, um, so yeah, I think at the moment potentially it's okay. Well, how can I make it work for me? And then kind of what can I realistically commit to in the week just to get me going? Maybe that's, I mean, uh, this morning I did a 10 minute one and that was more than enough for me just to kind of, because I've been really struggling this week just to kind of, I've not been prioritizing it. I'm not going to lie, but going right. Okay. 10 minutes instead of half an hour job done. And I still feel great for it. So again, finding a way in, in which you can work it into your week then seeing how you feel and then I think it has a knock-on effect mm. I did five minutes last night five minutes whilst my bath was running that was my treat um so yeah I think I think totally lowering the barrier five minutes a day rather than like I'm going to do one session a week five minutes a day I what what really my clients find a couple of my clients recently have found really effective is stop framing yoga as exercise stop framing it as exercise frame it as a mindfulness action or a body image tool, or a relaxation moment, or some self-care, frame it as something else. Because right now you are framing exercise as something that has to be hammering, your heart rate has to be high, it has to feel like you're achieving something. Also, you're probably not that good at yoga. And what I mean by that is you feel like you're not that good at yoga. There's no way to be bad at yoga. How you show up in your body and, and on the mat is is great. It doesn't matter what that looks like and that's definitely something that we as a team are trying to normalize when we're doing our yoga of like I mean I don't look anything like what I see yoga on Instagram looks like and that's fine that's how my body does yoga but if you if you feel like you're good at weights and you're good at cardio then you do yoga and you're like I can't touch my toes or like it doesn't it feels uncomfortable to be in this situation then you're not really going to like it as much so giving yourself grace of saying this is how my body wants to show up at yoga today and there's no right or wrong way of doing it and framing it not as exercise but as something like just a gift of nourishing gift for your body um and then also looking at your relationship with rest um because if you really struggle with rest and slowing down yoga is not necessarily quote unquote rest you're not lying down but the rest can be restorative it can be active right um but if you feel guilty about rest then you're going to probably struggle with yoga too because it can create feelings of restfulness because it does increase potentially your sympathetic parasympathetic dominance and um you do especially at the end have to sit with your thoughts a little bit and that's another thing um you're avoiding it for a reason and it's important to figure out like why you're avoiding it to the figure out how you can incorporate it in mm-hmm. okay one more question go for it staying on the rest theme any tips for intentional rest i'm really struggling with intentionally sitting especially when the weather has been so vile so that was from last week the weather hasn't improved since but <laughs> wait why does vile weather make it difficult to rest stay inside oh um Again, I think look, like getting curious about why it is that you struggle with it so much. Often we struggle with rest because we we associate our self-worth with our productivity and our achievements. And rest feels like the opposite of that. We always feel like we should be striving, always feel like we should be doing. Um, so when we don't, 
we can feel anxious. And there is such a thing as relaxation-induced anxiety where you do feel anxious about this. I don't talk about that that much because I feel like it can pathologize it a little bit. And, and then we're like, oh, it's, I've just got relaxation-induced anxiety. And it's like, yeah, but that's it's helpful sometimes to put a name to it. But then like, how are you soothing yourself through that and overcoming that? And looking at all the different ways that you can rest that's not lying on sofa or sitting down but it's maybe yoga, it's maybe getting outside in nature, um, but not always filling your mind. I think with rest, it's it's you don't want to constantly be stimulating your mind and you want to give your mind that freedom and that space to think, to slow down, to get creative. Um, I think that is super important. Mm, and I guess, like, thinking how you frame rest obviously I know this client I know that rest days from the gym are something that people can generally find a bit easier to get their head around because right that's going to support my training but actually just being intentional with your rest throughout the day means that you can show up at work as your best because you have better capacity to deal with the stresses of day to day and like thinking okay well like that's how I stay within my window of tolerance really isn't it is making sure that I am doing things intentionally throughout the day to bring me back down mm. I also think too only in our moments of slowing down and rest do we stop to notice that this is our life and my and again like my fear is waking up one day and being like I don't remember any of my 30s because I the whole time I was just working and doing and it went by so fast because I was always doing stuff and now I'm 95 and I don't remember it or I didn't take enough advantage of that because I just wasn't present in the fact that I was sat there I had time on my own to think and maybe you might want to have kids one day and apparently you never have time to think again like you just don't know when these opportunities for you to be present may not be there anymore and I just think again like remembering that these little like life is made up of these little moments of like presence and you just don't want to waste it by being just non-stop doing stuff all the time. That when I have weeks like that, when I have really not slowed down, I, I get not annoyed at myself because I can be compassionate, but I do get a bit like, okay, remember, like this is the only day you're only going to get to live this life. Like this is the only time to live today. Like slow down. Cause I, like, I don't want it to end. I don't want it to go by so fast. But the only way to, you can't slow down time, but you can slow down like yourself in that moment. Okay, thanks everyone for your fab questions. Thanks, Anna. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you did, please do feel free to like, share, subscribe and review. And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.